0: I'm Barb DeMarco Barrett, and you're listening to Writers on Writing. My guest today is Francine Prose, author of Reading Like a Writer, My New American Life, Blue Angel, and many more novels. She returned to the show to primarily talk about the Vixen. We talked about writing about writers, the book within the book, midpoints and so much else. Enjoy. It's so nice to have you back on the show, Francine. And with the Vixen, I was I was drawn into this book. From the start, um, based on Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, suspe- suspected Russian spies were executed in 1953. Talk about how the novel came about.
1: Well, I've been interested in their in that case forever since childhood. My 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 mother was a new Ethel Rosenberg in high school, in grade school, in high school. So, but you know, like any kid growing up in the 50s. It was a big story. I mean, it was very much in the air. So I, and it should be, I mean, really it should be, you know, when the fifties we uh, (laughs) executed two people without sufficient proof that they were guilty of anything. So, you know, it should have been a big story. So it was, it's been in my consciousness for quite a while.
0: And okay, so your mother went to school with Ethel, just as the narrator's uh, mother had a connection to her. And Simon went to Harvard, as you did. And Simon is a writer. And obviously, the story is not autobiographical. But it seems you do that a lot, which I love. You pull tidbits um, from your life and you incorporate them into your fiction. where is the, is there a line? I mean, is there any place in that where you go, you know, enough, I I can only take so much of the real stuff and now it's time for fiction.
1: Well, I try not. I mean, I used to try not to write about my kids. I try not to write about my kids who are not kids anymore, but they, you know, and that was sort of a rule in the house. Uh, other than that, you know, I don't know. It just you, you try and be a human being. I mean, you don't write about something that somebody told you that you knew was in confidence, go like, oh thanks. That's my next <laughs> novel. I mean, you don't do that, you don't do stuff like that. So, you know, you just try and be a human being about how much you take from your life from life and put into a novel.
0: Yeah, I have a I have a friend who um who likes to criticize me for pulling from my life. And he feels that, um, that fiction should be fiction, that it should be all made up. And um, of course, um, I have a problem with that because who who does write pure fiction? I mean, does anybody even do that? And is it even possible?
1: Well, Flaubert said that he was Madame Bovary. So- which we know he wasn't. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't. On the face of it, he wasn't. So what does that even mean, you know, to write about? I don't know what, not to write about things that actually happened. Well, I, you know, it depends. writing is writing. I mean, it's just, you know, you see, I mean, everybody knows that Carl uh, Ove Knausgaard didn't remember the conversations he had with his father when his father you know, cook those horrible things he cooked in those books, but,
0: but that's his writing. It's just writing. Yeah. So in terms of fathers and parents, Simon likes his parents. I found that very refreshing that uh, that the narrator actually liked his parents and cared about how they were affected by this. And of course what's going on in their own lives. Um, um, Talk about coming up with Simon, and and so you had. I mean, you you were attracted to the story. The story had been with you about the Rosenbergs, and then how did Simon find his way into the story? Well, he was just me at
1: that age, basically. I mean, in a male, which was different, and with different parents than mine and so forth. But you know, the, I mean, I I also had a complete completely impractical college major and no plans for the future. So I understood what that was. And also, I knew about that world that he's moving around in, which was like, you know, 50s publishing for him, but it was 70s for me. So it was, you know, all those pieces came together so easily with what I was trying to write about.
0: And, and of course he has a problem because he, you know, he's given this project at the publisher where he works to, to ghostwrite a novel that um, destroys the memory of Ethel Rosenberg. And, and he's to write this trashy anti-communist novel. Talk about that, giving him, you know, having that be one of the major conflicts in the book. Well, that's sort of what it's about. You know, he, he,
1: he has to develop a conscience. I mean, someone's asking you to do something that you are pretty pretty sure is wrong, but it's but your career could depend on it, or whatever you hope for your life is going to be could depend on it. What do you do? I mean, that's a I I I don't think that he's the only person in the world that has ever been faced with that particular dilemma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you know what? But you know I I. I don't know. I mean, I've been thinking about all that stuff, and I'm—I've been thinking about sort of the way that those questions pose themselves in—in in the fifties when the novel was set, compared to now, are so different. I mean, no one lying was a big deal for a long time, and but it isn't anymore. Like everybody just lies all the time. It's just like no one, no one even assumes, you know. So. Uh, So I just think the culture has shifted so, so radically and that, and when you think about the 50s or the 70s and now you realize, uh, you know, how certain essential things about, you know, what was a lie or what was the truth or what people said have changed over the, those years.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of which, um, uh, my book group is reading the Vixen. Um, We're going to talk about it tonight. And one member, asks, one member of the group asked if you wrote The Vixen using McCarthyism as an allegory for Trumpism, the way Arthur Miller used The Salem Witch Hunt as an allegory for McCarthyism in The Crucible.
1: Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, there's this, uh, there's, this, there's this TV series that I like that everybody should be watching called Sort Of, it's huh. about this trans South Asian uh, uh woman who's a babysitter, a nanny and a bartender. But anyway, somebody her her friend says duh. And she says that's <laughs> her, and she says that's Russian. So now every time I'm time to say duh, I think that's Russian. But duh, I mean, obviously, all the all you know, the witch hunts and the lying and the and the deep pain, divides and the bullshit patriotism and so forth. There was so, you know, the 50s, the 50s and the 2000 whatever, 16 to 20s
0: were the same. Yeah. Yeah, sadly. Um, and the book within the book. Um, so he, Simon is, is ghostwriting this book, this, this trashy novel. And it's, it's, um, quite cheesy. And it feels like it was probably a ton of fun to write. Will you talk about um, that story and, and how was, how was it to write that? It was just fun. I mean, you know, because
1: I, because I think I read all those cheesy 50 bestsellers when I was a kid, because I didn't, you know, I would bring them home from the library. And nobody noticed her, and I didn't know the difference. So I kind of knew the language they were written in. So You know, it was like writing a different language that was just pure cheesiness. Plus, I love that stuff. You know, I like Douglas Sirk movies and so forth. I just, I still kind of, soap opera, Mm. I still kind of love it. So uh, it was just fun. It wasn't how I would normally write, but I wasn't, I supposedly wasn't writing. (laughs) I supposedly wasn't
0: writing it. Did did you have, do you outline, are you an outliner? Did you Where you were going and, and, you know, how it was all going to go?
1: No, I had no idea. No, I I knew certain things. I knew certain things. I knew that certain. Well, look, I knew, I knew what was, I knew what was behind it pretty much from the beginning. So I just had to get there, but I wasn't sure how to get there exactly.
0: Is that typically how you go? I mean, you know, have you ever, have you ever tried outlining and found that it just wasn't no, you?
1: No, no,
0: no,
1: I envy people who do. I really do. I've, I I really envy people. I mean, they know they have a certain, but it's just, you know, everybody works a different way.
0: Right. Well, as, as loyal listeners of the show know, I've been focusing on the midpoint um, in books quite a lot lately. Um, probably having to do with something I'm working on. And I'm always looking for the midpoint because it's the point of no return for the protagonist. And it's and in The Vixen, it's right here on page 175 to six. And without giving away what happens as well, is that something you're conscious of making sure right there in the middle of the book, there's that, that point of no return? Are you thinking that way or no? You're just telling the story? You know what? You're going to have to tell me what happens because <laughs>
1: because my only copy of the novel is way across the room. I mean,
0: well, he he he, he finds out the truth about the book he's writing about um the about the, the uh, book he's well, Yeah, yeah,
1: uh, yeah. No, I knew that. I knew that. But you know, the weirdest thing, the weirdest, weirdest, weirdest thing, which. I, I should write about sometime, but I just I'm trying to do other stuff, too, Was like someone I did a hot, you know, a, what do you call it? Zoom for um, the Jewish History Society, some <laughs> super nice woman and uh, and a bunch of people, in, mostly in New York, I guess. And and then she wrote to me and she said, uh, oh, you know, I did a little li- more research about uh, about your novel, about the history of it, of what actually happened. And it turned out that, that this thing that I thought was so ridiculous that no one would ever believe it, which was this, that the CIA would fund uh, this you know bodice ripper based on the Rosenberg case, that in fact, the State Department had funded some sort of, I don't think it was exactly that, but it was some pamphlet or nonfiction or some piece of something proving that the Rosenbergs were guilty and had sent it all over the world. So this thing that I thought that was ridiculous was just a slight exaggeration of (laughs) what turned out to have actually happened.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's probably so much going on that we don't know about that that would would seem too bizarre for fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean whoever said you you can't make the shit up really really just said a lot. I mean.
0: Yeah you'd bring it to your critique group and they'd say no this would never happen. Never happen. Never happened. Never happened. Uh-huh. Um, um, the first chapter is 52 pages. And there's so much talk these days, so much writing these days about um, writing short, brisk chapters to keep uh, the reader's interest. Um, Obviously, you're not paying attention to that. The first chapter I thought was um, captivating and it kept me reading. But what do you think about that? All this, you know, write short chapters and, you know, all that. Jump right in, no backstory. Um, oh, I
1: didn't know about any of that actually. <laughs> <laughs> now I do. I'm gonna to forget to. I don't know, you don't know no, that's not actually true. I mean because uh, because for a while during lockdown, I mean, I'm so insomniac and I was reading for a while I was just reading like 30s British, novels set in the country you know family novels like one after another but and and then I started reading thrillers and I started noticing that uh especially the more recent ones had very short chapters I did notice that but I I you know I didn't know that that it kind of you know worked its way over to stuff that wasn't uh genre fiction but apparently it has well
0: yeah I mean I guess with you know all the Wonderful uh, series on on all the different um, platforms that you know keep the reader's interest. You know, jump right in so that they don't go and turn the on hook,
1: the-, the hook. The <laughs> hook. I mean, there was always you know definitely the hook. I mean, that was how uh, you know you had to find a dead body before the opening credits, or else. Uh... <laughs> 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 well, you know, <laughs> you know, just when the just when the forensics. Just when the forensics team was showing up, then you could go to the opening you know, the
0: opening credits. And right. it, so, yeah, keep the viewer, keep the reader. Yeah. Um, you know, there's mention of the flu and the plague in this book, and I was curious if you wrote this during COVID. I care. I don't think so. No, I
1: think I pretty yeah. Well, I did one last version. I think I did one last draft. that, You know, that I, that took a couple of months. But uh, just before COVID, oh my God, just before COVID, for a week we rented this place and it was like, I don't know, I've been thinking about the before times. We rented this place in the Hollywood Hills because our son was one of our sons was living in LA so we could like hang out and visit him, and right? And it was like, it was insane. It was like from a dream. It was some guy, I mean, the house was like a party house from Boogie Nights from the 70s. <laughs> It went all the way across the hill. And the guy, this guy had lived there and then he lived down the hill, but his, the guy who's been his kind of helper for years. And I guess boyfriend what for a while, ran the place. And it was insanely beautiful. And also, what was it? Was it Rottweilers? I think they kept Rottweilers. And there was like this Rottweiler graveyard going up the hill from the house, you know? So if you bothered to climb up, it's way up in the hills. It was at the top of the hill. There was this, there were all, all these tombstones for rock wars, but just, it was like this crazy eccentric, uh, uh, LA place that, you you know, and when I think about it, I think, you know, that was really, oh, and also I would, because I was still, you know, in a week, I was still had jet lag. So I would get up and it was like four o'clock in the morning and I would, I had, the view was insane. I mean, I could just see Los Angeles and I would sit there and Revise uh, the novel, you know, which was like a super fun stage. So it was like, you know, it was like pure bliss. I mean, the end of it was pure bliss, and also it was like, uh, you know, the perfect last days of like just total, you know, a kind of freedom that we don't have anymore. But it was like, okay, you know, blew it out. So, So it was like, you know.
0: Yeah, is revising
1: your favorite part of writing? It's the easiest and fun. You just change a word and you go,
0: oh my God, that's better. (laughs) Yeah, well, what about, about, um, you know, I'm listening to reading like a writer on Scribd right now. And I really like how you're writing about your own origin story as a writer and you're informing writers how to read to become a better writer. Um, and you also teach, you teach a part, and I'm curious what you think best helps writers to become better. Is it reading? Is it classes? Is it writing? Is it, I mean, obviously it's a mix, but, you know, I, so many people take workshop after workshop trying to master this or that. And I'm curious what you see in terms of, you know, through your own teaching and, and, um, you know, your, your years as a writer and, and knowing writers, what, what is the thing? I mean, there's so many MFA programs, there's so many certificate programs there, you know, it's such big business right now that, um, you know, what's, what's more most useful, do you think, for writers? I don't
1: know. I mean, you know, if you read a lot and you write a lot, how could it not get better? Mm-hmm. I mean, workshops, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, there's some, I really don't know. I mean, there's some that people have said were life-changing and then some that I, you know, I just don't know. I mean, it certainly is a a uh, business, but compared to, I don't know, you know, compared to manufacturing tear gas, it's not the worst <laughs> business in the world. I mean.
0: Yes, so true. <laughs> You know, in reading like a writer, you talk about deconstructing books and, you know, really studying how they're made. Do you do you continue to reread? Do you reread novels and nonfiction and so on? Uh, Yeah. Sometimes I have to read a book twice,
1: once, right right after another. And if I'm going to teach something, I have to I pretty much have to reread it the week I'm teaching it just because, you know, I need to remember all the little details that I don't remember anymore, mm.
0: even
1: if it's a story. So, mm. yeah.
0: Mm. do You know, I'm curious about, um, you, you've written from the male point of view a lot as you do in The Vixen, and you've written from the point of view of characters of different nationalities, as you did in My New American Life, and writers are especially nervous of late about about who they can write about and how deeply they can write about people unlike themselves and I'm curious what you think about or or where the line is between appropriation and appreciation you know i mean it used to not be a thought right we you know women writers write about men men always write about women and you know we go into different cultures and write about culture that is unlike our own, but what about that? I mean, uh, you know, what sort of advice might you have for writers who are kind of going outside their own culture or gender um, and and including characters in their fiction? Um, unlike- I don't you know. Well, I just think that I just
1: think the genders, I just well, what can I say? I've written several novels from male point of view, so I must think it, it's possible to do. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't have tried to do it. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think that there, I think that, uh, I think that you don't wanna get things wrong that are really wrong. And I think that what often happens when I don't know. It does, I mean, that's a problem when you just get something wrong. I mean, I remember when, when uh, you know, that American Dirt book came out. Right, right. And right. all sorts of things were gotten wrong. I mean, to, <laughs> to have barbed wire as the centerpiece at the dinner at the, you know, at mm. the BA or whatever was wrong. I mean, that was just, a, you know, as an optical, that was wrong. But then to say that this woman who apparently had money would need to, you know, take the train where people just stuffed onto the train to try and get across the border was unlikely as well. So it was just like, you don't, I mean, that's certainly what you don't want to do is just try and do something and just get it wrong that way
0: you think sensitivity readers are a good idea for writers who might be going into an area that they haven't lived exactly to have their stuff reviewed or, I mean, what do you think? No. No? No. Because?
1: <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. It's like, uh, it's like, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, for one thing, I just think, OK, maybe, maybe if you had 30 sensitivity readers for each book and all 30 of them said, you know, this book really freaked me out. And here's why. But to give one person that much power, one or two people, it just seems because every, you know, so many books, books offend people. They just do for all sorts of reasons. I mean, race is certainly one of them, but they, that, you know,
0: they're not all, they don't all make people comfortable. Right. Which I suppose is another question, right? Should, should, how should books make people feel? Is it wrong to make a reader uncomfortable, you know, and then we get into, you know, uh, this character wasn't likable, or I didn't, relate? I mean, all these more um, subjective um, critiques that, you know, how much should a writer pay attention to those? You know, I mean, it it just seems that... No, I don't,
1: you know, know. no. No, the answer is no, just no, it's not part of it. It's not I don't think it enters your mind, or it doesn't enter my mind. It's not what I'm. It's kind of not what I'm doing. But, but you know, and then when I'm teaching, it's like I don't, I don't. It's not the thing I want to talk about, or that really, you know, unlikable. It's just not. It just doesn't come up. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't come up. I mean, you know. And if there, if there are certain things that are too traumatic that they can't deal with it, I'm not the person who's going who's gonna to fix that. I mean, let them find somebody else. Mm-hmm.
0: You You know, you do something else that I quite like a lot, too, which is you write about writers a lot. And I've heard... I don't know where I heard it or read it, you know, that we should never, writers should not write about writers because it's a passive act and we're, you know, it's not that interesting. And I don't know, I mean, I love, I love novels that have writers as protagonists. And you do that in um, obviously The Vixen, you also do that in Blue Angel, where a writing teacher has an affair with a student and it's downhill from there. In My New American Life, an Albanian nanny is writing a story Um, So there's a lot of writing and writers um, in your books, and um, talk about that. I mean, have you ever heard that, don't write about writers, because it's not, it's, you know, basically not that interesting?
1: (laughs) Uh, I guess, but I don't know, you know, it's like, I don't, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, I must think it's interesting, since I seem to
0: do it every so often. So yeah. Mm. Um, and I I read it, I read a review, um, or not a review, an interview with you where you said that the first, you like to, you like to write first so you can garden and not feel guilty. Of course, that doesn't apply to the present, of course, where it's snowing and you're on generator and all that. But, um, do you still, do you still do that? Do you still write first things so you can get to other things? now
1: what do yeah. I do first thing yeah. first I do the spelling bee first I do the New York Times spelling bee mm-hmm. then I do the easy sudoku puzzle then I do the word box I mean I do as many puzzles as I possibly can and it's just some sort of I mean I mean basically there's there are all these rituals that I go through before I can kind of face today I mean it, for a while I was ordering uh bulbs online from garden supply (laughs) (laughs) before I could do anything. And I mean, that just got out of hand. So now I do that. So, and you know, then I don't know, we have breakfast, like we started having actual breakfast and then I try and get some work done, but I don't, I'm not,
0: you know, I'm not laser focused. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you are getting to writing do you have a word count or a page count per day do you I mean how how long do you stay at the desk how long do you stay with your work before I, it's
1: different from day to day until mm. I can't stand to do it anymore I mm. mean which sometimes <laughs> which sometimes <laughs> it happens pretty fast but you know and then sometimes longer I don't know it's 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 different from day to day I mean it's you know depends what I'm doing or a lot of times I'll just be sort of uh, kind of automatic writing in a way, you know, just writing stuff, and and then I have to go back and make it legible, and it just seems so tedious that I'll go, okay, that's it, I'm done for the day.
0: Hmm. Mm. Will you Will you stop at a place where you know where you can pick it up and jump right in? Will you do that or no? No, no, I don't know. It's
1: just more like I just don't feel like doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know?
0: um, did you
1: start writing as a kid? Yeah, I used to write ghost stories. I used to write like vampire stories as a kid. I was a big reader, of course. Of course, I was a huge, like fairy tale reader. Anything, I would read anything. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah.
0: Back to the vixen. I love this book cover. Did you have any anything to do with it? Yeah, no, I picked the image. And I said,
1: uh, you know, because that was the, the embracing mm-hmm. about Rosenberg's with the handcuffs was, was the image I wanted. And they designed, I mean, I love the cover. They did a beautiful, beautiful design.
0: They did. They really did. Um, and the, you know, the first, I mentioned how the book came in, and I started reading it, and I was drawn right in by that first paragraph, that first page. Um, how how important for you is the beginning of a book? I mean, will you just work on it forever to get it right? I mean, do you think do you think it's accurate um, to to say that you know readers will will read or not read uh, dependent on what's on that first page well no i
1: don't think about it's not like i think about uh you know a reader's going to want to go on or something but it's more like i you know i have to stop myself from kind of obsessively uh going back to that first page you know just because it's sort of the uh the entry point into the world that it's about to 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 open up and just to see what it is you know or how it sounds or you know change one word or not but it's not you know after a point it's not that
0: useful because it's you you can get stuck on it hmm. yeah you can you can get stuck on so many things do you, what do you <laughs> what do you do when you hit a wall do you ever like reach a point point in whatever you're working on where you you don't know what to do or where to go and and uh and then what well it depends on how bad it is I mean sometimes
1: I just know it's not I have to give it up I mean it just isn't working and it you know because it's just like slave labor uh you know, working at something that was Sisyphus, I like, you know, you're just rolling the stone up the hill and it's just rolling back down. But but then they're like, you know, then I don't know, it's, there are other times when it just seems to have a life and you're just like, you know, which doesn't mean it's steady. There's some days you just think, oh, this is like completely, completely terrible. But, uh, but uh, you know, there's something that keeps you going back to it.
0: All right, do you have novels you've put aside after, whatever, 25, 50, 100, 200 pages, 400 pages? Yeah, I have bunches of them. Hmm. Is that, is, has that been throughout um, or at the beginning of um, writing novels? I mean, does that yeah, still- Yeah,
1: always. Well, the novel that Angela's writing in Blue Angel's recycled novel that I wrote that I thought wasn't very good. Hmm. <laughs> So that's pretty good. You know, it's not so bad, but it's right. like, you know, I mean, it's like a talented student, except I wasn't by the time I wrote it. So, you know, and this, I have them somewhere, but it's, I don't, I, in general, I don't go back to them. Mm. I mean, the Vixen, I kept on and kept on and kept on, even though it just wasn't, it wasn't working, but but it was, you know, it was that first chapter. It was like that first chapter I I just started at a different place. I mean, when I started with that first chapter, the whole thing kind of came together.
0: When you started writing, did you start with short
1: stories or did you go directly to the novel? Uh, no, I started with short stories. I mean, I, yeah, I started with short stories. I was, I went to, I, I was in like writing workshops in college and stuff, but they, were you know, they were like,
0: student writing, really student writing. I mean, they're just, I don't think they're very good. Have you ever taken a short story and and turned it into a novel?
1: Uh, Not really, I don't know. I don't know where it's, I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me that like somehow the form exists in my brain before I start writing, like I know. But I haven't written any short stories for, no, that's not even true. I was gonna say I haven't written short stories for a while, but that's not true, I have. But uh, but it's just different, I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: So we have a, a couple of minutes left and I'm curious what you hope readers take away from The Vixen, or at least when you were writing it. Were, are, are you thinking of when you're writing when you're writing the vixen were you thinking of what you wanted how you wanted to affect readers do you do, you do that with your work do you think about audience and and what you hope they take away or or no or are you just this is what i'm writing this is it do what you want with it
1: well no i mean i it's not like that's it's not like uh it's sort of the grand design for the project but i but i you know i i like you know what is it that i like i mean if you know i mean lately a friend of a mine have been talking about like how we judge books
0: mm-hmm. and
1: saying that like the ultimate is uh that you call up your friend and say you have to read this mm-hmm. so maybe that's it You know maybe it's a book that somebody calls up a friend and says oh well you have to read this
0: yeah yeah i mean i you know i i've been wondering a lot about how books are um picked up and how how we we find those books that we want to read or that we're that we're drawn to and you know, I don't know. I don't know if social media works as they have hoped it would. You know, it seems that word of mouth is the thing, at least for me, that is, um, you know, that that pulls me into a book. Um, what do you think? I mean, what do you think about social media in terms of promotion, um, in terms of selling books? Do you think it? Do you think it does that?
1: I don't think so. I really don't, I mean, it's because it's not anything that like, you know, the way I use social media is not about like, what book should I read next? It isn't. I mean, it just, you know, because like Instagram, I love Instagram, but it's just about the images, which, Mm -hmm. and, and a book cover, for example, is not a super interesting image as images go, if, you know, it's going to show up on your Instagram feed. So, uh, so no, I don't think so. And and what do you call it, Facebooks? Definitely not. I mean, I don't know, if, you know, friends tell me, I guess, I friends tell me, I mean, I do read the New York Times, I do read the Washington Post, uh, but a lot of it is people tell me.
0: Mm-hmm. You read your reviews? Oh yeah. Will you go to Goodreads and see what people are saying or Amazon or wherever? Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: It's t- I'm not going to do it anymore. Friend of, I said <laughs> a friend of mine said you only have to do it once and then you don't have to ever have to do it again. And I thought that is really brilliant. A really brilliant way to think about it. Hmm. So no. So the answer is no. I did, but no. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could have. 100 great reviews and then there's one that's horrible and um I, that that's probably the one you think about right horrible horrible
1: they look like, boring complete waste of time wish <laughs> i could get my money back you know like uh, what what are, we, what are you supposed to think about that i mean really what is what what is what you know this you weren't the audience for the book it didn't right. work out for you but you know what that's just what it is <laughs> I think it was a complete waste of time? I didn't think that's what it was,
0: but, you know. Do you you think it's worthwhile for writers to think about audience when they're writing or to think about genre? What, what, where is this going to fit? Should they, should writers be pre-thinking what agent they're going to try to get and what that agent represents? Or, I mean, do you go into the studio or your study or your office and just focus on the work and forget about all of that until you have a final draft?
1: Of course. I mean, unless you're writing a genre, in which case it's good to think about genre because you know there's certain conventions, but I don't think about it that much when I'm writing. When I'm not writing, I think, oh, you know, it's there's this market out there and it's hopeless and blah blah blah. But when I'm writing, it's like it just doesn't enter my mind. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, as we sort of draw down to the end of our talk, do you have any any advice for the novelists out there who are listening, who uh, are, are making their way through a project, um, maybe with some difficulty. Um. <laughs> I don't know. Good <laughs> luck. You know, really
1: seriously good luck. It's just, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's good to have patience. Patience is really great. Belief in yourself. I don't know. Of course reading and caring you know I don't know it's hard work yeah it really is hard work but uh but I you know it's not worth it unless you like it unless you like doing it yeah that's what I would say I mean which doesn't mean you always like doing it but sometimes you really like doing it
0: yeah and that's the best you know that's the best you, know, you get into that, that flow state and the work is happening and you're happening and and uh but you can only get there if you sit sit at the desk and do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: well of course.
0: <laughs> you know, not not talking about ideas and great ideas for books or stories, but to you know, to do it. Francine, thank you so much for taking Oh, you're so welcome. take care, Barbara. Thanks. Thank you. Uh huh. Okay, That was Francine Prose, author of The Vixen. This episode was produced by me, Barb DeMarco Barrett, on February 4th, 2022. Music and sound editing was by Travis Barrett. If you want to know more about the show, or you'd like to reach out to me or my co-host, Marie Stone, visit penonfire.com. Thank you for listening.